Today, we're going to take a second to acknowledge, to honor, to recognize uh, veterans. I know Veterans Day is this Thursday, the 11th, but we're going to take today as a church family to, as Romans 12.10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. There are those of us seated right next to us um, who maybe, maybe aren't here who have sacrificed and surrendered of themselves, uh, time with their family, hard work, hard labor, uh, selflessly gave uh, in service to their country, whether they're serving now or have served, we want to take a second and honor veterans. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. The way we're going to do this is a little different. Uh, Ian's up here with me. He's got a son, Jonathan, actually serving right now, U.S. Navy, Jonathan. Um, and he's going to pray a blessing over us, uh, or not over us, because oh, I'm not a veteran, but over uh, the veterans um, and, and just pray to honor today. But really quickly, I want to read a poem uh, for us. So just, if you would, just sit with me for a second. Let's, let's take a second, and I'm going to read this in honor of our veterans. It's called In Honor. Today we take the time to remember our men, our men and women who served and are serving in the armed forces. We honor our veterans for how they trained, for how they committed themselves to the task, for how they sacrificed. Let us never forget the hard, heavy work they have done. Let us never forget the crucial tasks and needs that would have otherwise gone undone. Whether at home or abroad, on the battlefield or at a desk, we're grateful to be able to honor you today. For all that you carried then and for all that you carry now, we pray that the Lord would be lifted by God's strong grace. We, as your family of faith, are grateful. And we honor you today. I'm going to turn it over to Ian here to, to lift up a prayer. Um, but if I could ask this thing of us, while Ian prays, if we could, um, those who are part of the family of faith that are not a veteran, if you could stand and have, and I know this is kind of flipped. We normally would have veterans stay or stand up, but I just felt they've stood so many times, even symbolically, they've stood so many times for our sake. Let us stand today for their sake um, and pray a blessing. So if we could do that, if you, if you are a veteran, if you might just stay seated actually, but if you are not, could we stand in, in honor right now? And as Ian prays, let's pray together and agree with him. So those who are seated near you, if, if, if you are okay with it, maybe lay your hands or just acknowledge or turn and let's uh, draw our attention to those. Here you go, Ian. Lord, I thank you right now for our veterans, Lord Jesus, and the sacrifice they've made for our freedom. Without our veterans right now, Lord Jesus, who knows where we'd be? 
And we just want to put a special blessing upon all of them, Lord Jesus. Protect them physically, mentally, and most importantly, spiritually, Lord Jesus. That you would guide their direction and their family in all the ways that you have for their lives. And that their house would be blessed forever, Lord Jesus, through the third and fourth generation out, Lord Jesus. And that their sacrifice would not be a sacrifice where it would be just forgotten and just down the tubes, Lord Jesus. That this is something that they know that they made a sacrifice of their life, their time, and their family. And that you would just guide them and guide their family, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus, for our veterans. Amen. 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 Can we uh, just give a clap? All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. All right. All right, you may all be seated. And I do want to encourage you before handing the mic off to Darcy, who's going to bring an amazing word. Veterans Day is coming, so spend time this week. You know, it only takes a second to pray in a service like this, but it takes a little more heart, a little more effort to reach out, to thank somebody you know who is serving or has served this week, send a text, send some love, and appreciate those around us who are serving. Darce? Yeah, I'm excited for Veterans Day. My husband is a veteran, and so we have all kinds of conversations around that. And it truly is an honor to serve and to love. And um, on what Isaac was saying, honor them and how they want to be honored, because there is a vast difference across um, what service looks like and what, what time period they served and different things, get to know uh, veterans and honor them how they, they, is honoring to them. I guess you can put it that way. Good morning, my name is Darcy, as Isaac said. I'm excited to be here. I'm always excited to be here. You guys know that. I'm looking around at family this morning, my family of faith, and I just wanna say thank you for coming, right? We all have an option to show up every, every Sunday, and I'm just so grateful that I can show up to a family who's gonna encourage me, who's gonna build my faith, who's going to hold me accountable, who's going to uh, allow me to grow in my faith, and I, and I hope you guys find that same thing here. If you are a student up through middle school, if you haven't left already, I know most of them like book out. They like run as soon as the transition takes place. You can go to Kids Church or Celebration Kids. So uh, we have it all the way up through middle school for the rest of the service. So I want to just let you know that you can go if you haven't already. We have been in a really amazing series called The Lifestyle of Discipleship. And Brother Bill opened us up. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd actually went back and looked at his notes and they're really good. He had something like 35 slides. I only have like 10 for us this morning. So a little bit of, a little bit of less text, but hopefully the same spirit that he, he brought us in on. And um, man, the lifestyle of, of a, a disciple, right? The songs that we're singing today so passionately, we have this opportunity to worship him, to praise him. And, and Bill talked about how a disciple isn't someone who just says the sinner's prayer. A disciple isn't someone who just shows up to church. A disciple is someone who loves, adores, who knows God is and continues to follow God even after that prayer is made. Today, we're gonna talk about an aspect of discipleship that when we hear the word, we all kind of immediately like, ooh, get a little defensive. Any, anybody by nature a defensive person? Anybody by nature? Not everybody is. I'm a defensive person by nature. I've had to work really, really hard. Just ask my siblings, right? I've had to work really hard to be like, okay, it's okay. Just because they say something, I'm not being attacked. This word I'm going to bring up today, sometimes we get this 
wall, this instant wall. And I just want to put you at ease. I'm not here to attack us today. I'm not here to condemn us or convict us in any way. I'm just here because I believe that God has so much fulfillment in life for us that if we leave it alone, if we don't do something about it, it's wasting the gift that God has given us. And that thing today is a lifestyle of discipleship is a lifestyle of obedience, passionate obedience. It's, it, it's one thing to sing these songs on a Sunday, but it's another thing to go out on a Monday and to live it out. You know, we can worship God in our singing on a Sunday, but when we go to work or if high school students, because I've, I've talked to you this last year, or if we go to school and we're lazy in our work ethic, that is not a sign of obedience or of worship. When we worship God here and then we, we go to other places, our families, our friends, and we're not living out a lifestyle of obedience and passionate obedience. Today, we're gonna talk about how obedience looks so different than what this thing we have, this concept we have in our head. My heart today is that we would be stirred, that we'd blow on the embers of our obedience, our passion, and our adoration for Jesus Christ alone, and that we would be compelled. We're not, we're not being pushed. We're not just being commanded, but we're compelled. We're motivated to obedience because of our love of Jesus and how we spend time with him. I'm gonna share a quick story. Um, a few weeks ago, my husband and I, we wanted to celebrate our anniversary by getting, like taking a little getaway trip. And we have a one-year-old. And so we started asking, we, have, we just have the one, and we started asking our friends who have young kids, hey, where do you vacation? Where's a good vacation spot with a one-year-old? And everybody's first response was just laughter. <laughs> they just laughed at us, right? And you know, we're just like, surely it can't be that bad. There's gotta be places. But I'm gonna just remind you, if you had kids, uh, at one point, maybe they're grown, or if you're grandparents, or maybe you didn't have kids, I just, just a small picture of just sort of reminding you that one-year-olds usually take one to two naps a day. Uh, you know, they, they have routines and rhythms. So your life is kind of fixed around these, these perfect little humans that God has given you. And so uh, we got all this advice, and the, the advice we kept getting was get a nice Hotel room, get a nice room at the coast with a good view, a great view. So that way, when, if, when they're sleeping or when they need to unwind, they're overstimulated, you can just come back to the room. Even if there's a storm, you can at least see something pretty, right? So we took their advice and we, um, we got a hotel room at the coast and we took our one-year-old and we decided, okay, on the way there, we planned it all out because planning always means it goes right exactly 100% of the time, right? So we plan it for my, my daughter's second nap. We'll decide, okay, we'll leave right before a second nap. She'll sleep in the car. We'll get there, we'll have a couple hours. Well, absolutely not, she didn't sleep in the car. She was way too excited. There was way too much stuff going on. So we get there, we're like, okay, well, bedtime will come. And our daughter is a great sleeper. We've worked really hard to establish good sleeping habits and all that kind of thing. And we go to put her down. And she's like, absolutely not. Man, there's too much fun to be had. She then proceeded to scream for the next two hours, which is, again, is not like her. And so we felt so horrible for the people next to us, right? Like, should we get them gift cards? Like, should we, like, put a gift? Should we leave right now? Go get them a gift and just put them at the door and say, so sorry. She, we eventually, it was like 9.30 at night, and she, we were at our wits' ends, 
we had played with her, we had fed her, we had done all the things. I'm like, okay, we're gonna stick her in the car, which every experienced parent knows you stick them in the car. Within two minutes, she was asleep, right? Within two minutes, should have done that two hours uh, before, but she falls asleep. So needless to say, it was a long night for us. No one got much sleep. The next morning, we just need a little, you know, a little help waking up. So we decided we're gonna get some, some coffee. And the nearest place to us was Dutch Bros. It was near a hotel. And uh, when we pull up for our order, my husband orders his drink. And I actually don't drink coffee. How many coffee drinkers are here? Okay, how many tea drinkers are here? Okay, how many hot chocolate drinkers are in here? Okay, you're my people. Come talk with me. Okay, so I don't drink coffee. I never have. I just have never acquired the taste. I don't know why you'd want to acquire the taste for dirt, but some people do. Okay, but uh, so I kind of like tea, but hot chocolate, having a cup of hot chocolate is like giving yourself a warm hug. It's just like giving yourself a warm, cozy hug, right? So needless to say, um, I've had a lot of hot chocolate in my lifetime because I've gone to a lot of coffee dates, a lot of coffee appointments, a lot, a lot of hot chocolate. Anyway, so my husband, knowing that I like hot chocolate, asks the, the guy who's taking your order, he goes, well, how, how do you guys make your hot chocolate? Because it matters. And he says, well, he says, actually, uh, what we do is we take our chocolate milk and we just heat it up. The most repulsive words I have ever heard coming out of someone's mouth. Okay, and you may be thinking, well, technically isn't hot chocolate just heated chocolate? No, it is not. There is a way, there is a plan, there is a purpose. Not only that, but now because I've had so much hot chocolate in my life, I have a special snowflake drink. How many of you guys have a snowflake drink at your favorite coffee shop? That means you don't just order it as is. You add things to it. You make sure you have different words to it. Come on, you know who you are. Well, uh, Kyle, my husband, worked at Starbucks for a short time, and he would always experiment with different kinds. So he'd be like, okay, try this one, try this one. So now I have a snowflake coffee or a, a hot cocoa drink that's, that I love. But what's interesting about that and what it shows us, right, is something that we've all experienced this last year. We have opinions. We have opinions about everything. I've had more opinions or more conversations about opinions in the last year than I have about anything else. And we all have opinions about everything. We have opinions that we share over how to take the garbage out. We have opinions over... Uh, dare I say masks or vaccines. We have, a, we have opinions about schooling, education. We have opinions how we park the car. We have opinions. My husband and I have an opinion. We each do it separately of how to wash our baby bottles and how to store them, right? We have opinions about everything. And I'm not saying that opinions are wrong. They can be good and in the right place. But I'm saying is our opinion though is misplaced when it comes to obedience. And this is what I mean. We need to be a people who have passionate, unopinionated obedience when it comes to Jesus. It needs to be unopinionated, right? We talk about like, oh, God, you asked me to do this. Uh, well, actually, my comfort, my comfort. Did you consider my comfort? Oh, God, um, you asked me to do this thing, but did you consider that I'd actually have to have self-control? God, you asked me to be holy, but did you realize that I couldn't watch the movies or, or I send those TikToks to my friends? Or uh, did you consider those things? We, we give our opinion when it comes to obedience. And it shouldn't be. 
It shouldn't be. Is it okay if I jump into a little Bible teaching mode this morning? Is that okay? Okay, so if you guys will open, if you have your Bibles or your phone, I just want you guys to get muscle memory of, of flipping there. We're actually not gonna read a scripture exactly from there because it's a lot, but go to the book of Ezekiel. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of our divine mentors. By that, all, all that means is he is uh, someone in the Bible that we see his life, that God put his life on display so that we could study, so that we could know. Um, Ezekiel is one of the prophets that we see in the Old Testament. And I'm just wanna, I just wanna catch us up a little bit about Ezekiel. I started studying this book over the summer because honestly, I had no clue what it was about. I mean, I knew he was a prophet and he said some pretty crazy things, did some pretty crazy things. So I started studying him. And what was so stark about Ezekiel was that his obedience was never opinionated. There was no caveats. There was one instance where he, he pushed back on God, one instance. So Ezekiel, he's a contemporary of Jeremiah. So what took place is Babylon came to Jerusalem, defeated Jerusalem, and Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem, stayed in the city, and he prophesied to those who were left behind, who stayed in Jerusalem. Now, Ezekiel was a captive of Babylon. So he, along with 10,000 other people, were taken out of Jerusalem and taken to Babylon, and they were exiled there. So Ezekiel is younger than Jeremiah at this time, not the whole time, but he's younger, and he is 25 years old. He is from a, a line of family who are priests. They are to serve in the temple. So when Ezekiel, as a 25-year-old, has lived his entire life preparing to serve in the temple of God in Jerusalem, because that's his family business, he's taken exile as a 25-year-old, and five years later, at the age of when you become a priest, when you start serving, at the age of 30 is when you would start serving in the temple. He's not at the temple. He's not there. He's in Babylon. He's been taken captive. And instead of becoming a priest, God calls him out and says, you're going to be a watchman. You're going to be a prophet. You are going to speak to my people. So he is, Ezekiel is speaking to the people who are being taken, who have been taken captive in Babylon. And here we find him. And what's interesting is God not only says, Ezekiel, I want you to say these things, but I also want you to follow up the prophetic word with a prophetic act. And there are some wild ones. Let me tell you, this, this book is almost 50 chapters and there is a lot going on. Ezekiel's ministry was 22 years. God asked many things of him. In fact, he said, if you don't say what I say, their blood is on your hands. I think it's pretty motivating, you know, like, hey, you should probably say what I tell you to say. So he's pretty motivated. But Along with those prophetic words, he has prophetic acts. Some of them, just some of them. One of them was God told Ezekiel to lay on his side for 390 days. 390 days. I can't even lay on my side when I'm sleeping for like 30 minutes. 390 days. During that time, he was supposed to eat eight ounces of food per day. Eight ounces. He used to do all these things. He was supposed to enact a siege that was going to come against Jerusalem with like these figurines, these makeshift figurines. God even told him, Ezekiel, the light of your eyes, your wife is going to die and you're not to shed one tear. 
not one tear. These things are extreme, but what they were doing is God was demonstrating, not just through his words, but through actions, what was going to take place to Jerusalem, to the Israelites, because of their disobedience, God was bringing judgment. But at the end of the book, I mean, it's a whole book of judgment, 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 but at the end of the book, God brings hope. He says, I still love you. You're my people. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna put my law into your hearts. There's only one thing that Ezekiel pushed back on, and it was this thing that he, when he was laying on his side, when he was cooking his food, he was to cook his food over human waste because it was supposed to demonstrate that would, that's all that would be available during the siege. And so here you have Ezekiel who's been preparing for the priesthood his entire life, and he says, God, anything but that. Let it be cow dung. Let it be cow waste. So God's like, okay. That one thing. That's in stark difference to my obedience that I've seen in my own life. Honestly, family, that's in stark contrast to obedience I've seen in us. Not all the time, but most of the time, because we always have an opinion attached to it. We always want to give God our two cents, like it really matters. Like he didn't create the world in all of time, and he doesn't know the the end and the beginning and the beginning and the end. But God, our God is so gracious. You look through the scriptures and you see he talks to us all the time. It's not that he doesn't want to talk to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. But what does passionate, unopinionated obedience look like? Here's the thing. We look at obedience the wrong way. Uh, growing up, my mom, sorry, mom, um, uh, she would tell us, well, let's pray. And did anybody else have like, as soon as your mom said something, there was just something that rose up within you and you're like, no. It could have been, it could have been the best thing ever, but I don't know what it is. There's just something that rises up, right? It's that heart of rebellion, that heart of rebellion, that darn heart of rebellion. You see, we look at obedience as this negative negative, uh, thing that we have to do, that we have to obey because we're told to obey. We know it's the right thing to do, that we're compelled to do it. Otherwise, there's, there's going to be negative consequences. And that's true. There are negative consequences to disobedience. But here's the thing. We're looking at it all wrong. If God says obey, then it must be the best thing ever. If he says in Romans, for uh, if he tells us that all things work together for good for those who love God and serve according to his purpose, then obedience must be so good. It must be so fulfilling. It must be so life-giving. It must be so healing. It must be so restorative in our families. It must be so good. So we need to change our mindset and our, our concept that, man, obedience, this thing is like, oh, I just got to obey. No, we have to change it. I get to obey. Jesus, whatever you're asking me to do, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it right now, and I can tell you my opinion later because you know what? Sometimes our obedience is time sensitive. It is. Our obedience is time sensitive. Really, the only opinion that we should have is that God is who he says he is. He did what he said he did, and he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. That is our opinion. And we base our life and how we live it on that alone because we can trust him. We sing the songs and we declare it, and let's live it out through obedience in our lives. Guys, we have to sacrifice our opinions on the altars of obedience. But what I mean by that is, yes, you have your opinion, but if your opinion gets in the way of obeying God, then you've made the opinion an idol. And you've made it greater than God himself. 
if, if I say, okay, God, um, you're asking me to, you're asking me to go talk to my neighbor today. Like, you know what? I got things I got to do. I'm not really comfortable talking to that neighbor. Maybe I'll, I'll wait or maybe I'll just send a, like an Instagram post or something out where, you know, you can connect that way. But God is asking me to go do it. What I've done is I put my, my opinion of comfort, I've made it greater than my desire for obedience. And that's an idol. I have now made my opinion and my rights an idol. And we, we think, you know, idols don't really exist anymore, but they do. They really do. And we need to sacrifice those idols on the altars of obedience by obeying. Obeying the first time, obeying with joy, obeying with passion. We look at Ezekiel, we look at all different people in the Bible, and we think, oh yeah, they, they had to learn. You look at Ezekiel and go, okay, well, so he was a priest. Guess what? We're called to be priests unto the Lord as well. So you can't dismiss yourself. You can't say, we can't dismiss ourselves and say, well, it's just someone who's in the Bible, so they're great. Well, I want to challenge that because they were normal people just like us. They were called just like we are. But I want to take you to a, a scripture that's an, an interesting one. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 5. You know what the word says? It says that even Jesus learned obedience. How can that be? Hebrews 5. Five verse seven, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We know about Jesus according to the scriptures that even at 12 years old, he amazed those in authority and leadership because he knew the scriptures. So it's one thing to say, okay, Jesus knew the scriptures. We can know obedience, but until we walk it out, what this is saying is Jesus knew, he had the knowledge of obedience, but he had to walk it out. It's not good enough for me to say, I know the Bible, I know the rules, I know I should make good choices or be moral. God is calling us to be more than just moral, by the way. He is calling us to be God followers. He's calling us to be Jesus with skin on. We have to put it into practice. We can't just know it, we have to walk it out. If your family can't look at you and see Jesus, then we're doing something wrong. If my family can't look at me and see Jesus, then am I really obeying? Do I really know him? And again, that's not to condemn us. It's to encourage us. It's to blow in the embers of our flame for Jesus that we can be different. Part of my passion is this, is guys, as part one, as part of the care team, I know there are family needs here in this room. As part of someone who serves on our youth team, I know there are family needs in this room. It doesn't take a genius to know that our world is dying. It's hurting. It's in pain. 
We are the very people of God. We have hope of righteousness and holiness in him that brings restoration and healing and life and fulfillment. And eternally, we will get to worship with him. We gotta walk it out just as Jesus did. Jesus is perfect and without any sin whatsoever. And even Jesus learned obedience. What's our excuse? Last week, you know, Pastor Bob, he spoke about the gospel. We've been on this incredible uh, series on discipleship. And he was speaking about, basically, we are the gospel and people read us, right? If they don't have a Bible, they read us. We're Jesus with skin on. And he said this quote, the gospel is information. It is encountering the living Jesus and the living Jesus lives in his people. Lives in his people. Do people know us to be those who obey God, not just talk about him, not just send out a a text message or a Facebook post or a TikTok or Instagram? I don't need to tell us that we need to obey. We all know, right? We all know. Even if you don't love God, you don't know God, we know we need to obey. But where does that obedience come from? It comes from the very adoration of Jesus. It stems out of the knowledge of who he is, how much he loves us. When we know Jesus, we adore him. And when we spend time with Jesus, we're changed by him. A couple years ago, I found myself kind of in a dry place. And I started looking around and be like, I know I love Jesus. I, you know, there's... I read my Bible, go to church, I serve, I do all the things. But I wanted to stir up that passion within myself. So I started looking around and go, who loves Jesus more than I do? And I could start identifying four or five people. Like, I know for a fact that they love Jesus more. It wasn't by what they said, it was by the actions that they took. And I determined, I'm going to put myself in their path. I want to live life where they're at. Because I'm going to be brought up to where they're at. And I encourage you today, if you find yourself in a dry place, if you find yourself in a place where like, I I, I do want to have a a passionate heart for obedience, find some people, look around and say, people love Jesus more than I do. And if you can't find someone, then become that someone for someone else and let's stir each other on to love Jesus more. Do we know Obedience. Where does obedience come from? Earlier in the service, Isaac, Pastor Isaac prayed for the persecuted church. We designate one Sunday out of the year to do that. If you know um, uh, Dave and Sherry Guilford, they are connected with India. They actually had one of the churches in the, the area that they work in was uh, ransacked pretty much, and some of their people were assaulted uh, by a group of 200 people not too long ago. But it's interesting. Um, in 1 Timothy, no, sorry, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul, who's addressing his son in the faith, Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to fan into flame the gift that was given to you. So one that shows it's our responsibility to fan into flame, to develop the gifts that God has given us, the passion that he's given us. It's not somebody else's. Now, as a family, we can encourage one another. But in in this passage, Paul is saying, hey, I've actually suffered a great deal. And Timothy, 
you're going to suffer. You need to strengthen yourself. But he uses this phrase. 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, for I know the one in whom I trust. For I know the one in whom I trust. How do we trust someone? It's because we know them. It's because we know them. And if we don't trust, it's because we don't know. This comes into all areas of our lives where we believe God for certain things, where we dwell on uh, fearful things rather on faith things, right? Do we know God? And it's always an invitation to know him more. Always, always with God. It's always an invitation. Hey, come spend time with me. And we, we get there and we're like, sorry, God, I haven't met you in like five days. He's like, I don't, just get past that. Get past, you know, your, your guilt. Let's, let's meet together. Let's meet together. It's always an invitation. When we're going through something challenging and even when our heart of rebellion wells up with, within us, we can recognize it as an opportunity to know God more. It's an opportunity. If you need to know God in the area of finances, if you're going through financial difficulty, ask God, God, I wanna know you as my provider. If you are in the the area, maybe you're going through something relational, God, I wanna know you as the restorer. Man, maybe you've been depressed or you just feel like you have no hope. God, I need to know you as my hope. I need to know that what you say, you say is actually what you mean. He's gonna show up. He's gonna reveal himself. He always does. Every single one of us in this room is a living testimony of God's faithfulness. I wanna encourage us, if we need a testimony of who God is, talk talk to people in your section. Our little sections, you know, just go around. Does anybody got to let's, let's do it right now. Who's got a testimony of faith? Raise your hand. Anybody have a testimony of faith? Okay, who's got a testimony of finances? Raise your hand. Who's got a testimony of relational restoration? Raise your hand. Who's got a testimony of uh, maybe bad habits? God giving you new habits out of coming out of restoration. Come on, this is what God is doing in us. And he's not gonna just do it for one person. He's not a respecter of persons. It's because it's who he is. He's so full, he's so abundant, and he's given it all for us and he's made it available. For I know the one in whom I trust. It's far easier to obey God when we trust God. And it's far easier to trust God when we know God. It's far easier to obey God when we trust God. And it's far easier to trust God when we know God and we have an opportunity to do so. Guys, let's stop feeling sorry for ourselves at times and let's just do the hard work. Let's sit down, let's make the time. Let's open up our word, let's pray. Let's get get to gatherings, community groups and come into prayer on Tuesdays. Let's do it. We are a, a people who are passionately obedient. If you have your Bibles or your phones, we're, we're gonna read through some scriptures really fast. So I want to, I didn't uh, put the whole reference, I didn't put all the words on the screen because we're gonna read through them. But my heart for you is this. Know who Jesus Christ is. Be stirred to love him. Blow on the embers of your passion and your discipleship. Consider your obedience. Is our obedience attached to our opinion? 
Or is our obedience completely unattached to our opinion, our feelings, our circumstances? That we'd have no hesitation and no doubt and no fear and no pain in obedience, but joy in it. First one is Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him, he created the world. Come on, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than ours. That is the Jesus. Jesus we know. That is the Jesus we love. That is the Jesus we obey. Colossians, look at it, Colossians 1, 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He is our beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, that is us, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you, in order to present us holy and blameless and above approach before God. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became minister. Revelation, go to Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll. No one was worthy to look into it. And he began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. No one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And one of the elders came to me, weep no more. We are a people who are gonna weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven, and its seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing and though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bolts full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Jesus was slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud, loud voice, worthy, 
Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. He is worthy. Jesus sits on a throne, his physical body. He rose from the dead. He, he rose into the sky. He sits on a physical throne. Next to God, he is ruling and reigning, and we are his children, and we get to walk in the authority and the power and the fulfillment and the obedience that he's created us for. This is the Jesus we love. It's the same Jesus who would pick up a child and pray for them. It's the same Jesus who wept when his friend died. It's the same Jesus, who sees us, who knows us, who is working on our behalf. But you see, the reason we don't obey, or the reason we obey isn't for our own good. The reason we obey is because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. That's why we obey. That's why we have a passion for it. Guys, we're not motivated to obey out of fear. We're not motivated to obey out of obligation. But we're compelled to obey out of faith. What if I have full, confident obedience, unopinionated obedience? What could God do with that? How much glory could he get out of that? We're compelled to obey out of the overflow of relationship that we have with Jesus. If God says, go, we go. This is who we are. If God says, speak, we speak. If God says, love, we love. If God says, work hard, we work hard. If God says, honor, we honor. If God says, mature in your faith, we mature in our faith. If God says to fan into flames the gift, we fan into flames the gift. If God says, serve, we serve. If God says tithe, we tithe. If God says gather, we gather. This is who we are. We are passionate, unopinionated followers, disciples of Jesus Christ himself. Would you guys go ahead and stand with me? John 14, Jesus says this, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Oh, there's so much joy in obedience. There's so much life in obedience. There's so much freedom in obedience. We get to the Point where we stop trying to decide whether we should obey or not. You know how much freedom <laughs> and life there is not? Okay, God, you said it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust. I trust you because I know you, right? I trust you because I know you. Family, let's do it for him. And when we do it for him, 
we're doing it for others. We're doing it for ourselves, but it's, it's about him. We're doing it for him. I mean, it's not that we're doing it for those other people, but it affects those other people. This morning, I want to encourage us. Let's look at the filter of which we obey. Is it opinionated? Is it unopinionated? Is it biased? Is it conditional? Where is our obedience at?